What am I up to? What, what, what is my life uh, going to be about, not just this year 2014, but for the rest of my life? And whether you think you have a life mission or not, every one of us has a life mission. Just because you can't articulate it does not mean you don't have it, or doesn't mean you don't have it. You have a life mission. Look where you spend your money. Look where you spend your time. Look where your mind goes when it's not occupied. When you're not thinking about work, when you're not thinking about family, in those moments of quiet, and for some of us, it's just a few brief moments throughout the day, where does your mind go? That's likely your life mission. Do you think about your career, your job? Do you think about advancing your career or taking that next step? Maybe your life mission is about your career. Do you think about money and how you can make more money? Do you think about your family and raising a great family and being a family man or a, or a mom or whatever? Your, your life mission probably has to do with family. Maybe you want to be the perfect Pinterest mom. Are you guys familiar with Pinterest? Okay, Pinterest, if, if you don't know what this is, it's like this online social community where people post pictures to boast about how awesome that they are. This is what Pinterest is for, and it's fuel for our jealousy. This is what happens. Because people, here's the deal, they post pictures and they do little status updates. And so a gal would post something like, I made these super awesome gluten-free healthy cupcakes for my kids, and they look really great, and my hubby's awesome, and I'm cooking dinner for them, and marriage is great, and life's great, and we're, you know, kicking rear and taking names. It's awesome. Love my life. And so, so what happens is the rest of us get on the Twitter, right? And we get on the Instagram, we get on the, we get on the Facebook, and we look at other people's lives and we go, man, my life stinks compared to this. Because, you know, I haven't showered in three days and I'm still wearing my pajamas, you know. This, this is horrible. So then I create my life mission around what I see on Instagram, or Twitter, or Facebook. And for some of you, you're going, gosh, I don't even know what those words are. Is he speaking Canadian? What, is it? what in the world are those words? But for some of you, you know full well what I'm talking about. Because you just pulled out your phone and going, I'm tweeting this right now, you know? Because you know that you look just like I look on Facebook. And I'm like, oh man, that guy's church is real big. I need a big church. All of a sudden, my life mission is about that. I look on Twitter and I'm like, man, that's a great tweet, Mark Driscoll. I need to be more like Mark Driscoll. And all of a sudden, my life mission is about that. But that's never, what, that's never been what the Bible says, that our life mission is as believers. Maybe, maybe your life mission is about being prestigious, being popular, being famous, being well-known, having recognition. Maybe, maybe you're going, man, that's not my life mission at all. I just want to stay cool. I want to fly below the radar. I want to live drama-free. Guess what? That's your life mission. Be drama-free, stay cool, fly below the radar. That's my life mission. Maybe your life mission is, I want to do enough good things to keep my Jiminy Cricket conscience off my back. I want to serve just enough. I want to go to church just enough. I want to do just enough to keep my conscience off of my back. But the reality is that the Bible gives us, as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, the Bible gives us our life mission. And guess what? It's not any of those things. Pinterest hadn't even been invented by the Romans yet, so it's clearly not that, right? Our life mission, and if you're taking notes, jot this down. Here's our life mission. Our life mission is to change the world one disciple at a time. 
our life mission as followers of Christ, as believers in Jesus, as those who have been bought and redeemed, purchased by the holy blood of the lamb is to change the world one disciple at a time. It's not to live a moral life, although that's great. It's not to raise a great family, although that's great. It's not to give to the church and money and time and energy and skills, although that's all great too. Our mission is a pretty high bar, is a pretty high calling. Our mission is to change the world one disciple at a time. This is the clear, unavoidable mission of every believer from the scripture to change the world by making disciples, by fishing for men, by rescuing men unto life in Christ. That is our mission. So we're going to look at a passage today where Jesus kind of calls his first disciples. When he kind of rallies his first followers to himself and say, all right, all right, guys, we're going to kind of live these next three years together. They didn't know it was three years at that time, but we're going to live life together. And I want to start from the very first time I call you, from the very first time I say, come be my follower. I want to establish that our mission is to change the world by making disciples, by fishing for men. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, if not, that's okay. There's a pew Bible in front of you. And because I don't work here anymore, if you don't have your Bible and you want to use a pew Bible, take it home. It's a gift. <laughs> what are you going to do, fire me? <laughs> We're going to be in Luke chapter 5. That's page 961 in my Bible. That probably doesn't help you at all. But it's uh, Luke chapter 5. It's probably 80% of the way through your Bible. And here's what you need to know. For the first few chapters of Luke, Luke has talked about angels and shepherds and the magi and all of that stuff, right? You, you know the drill. You've heard the story if you've been paying attention these last few weeks at Christmas time. But now Jesus is, is, is about 30 years old. He's a few years younger than I am right now, right? And, and he's kind of starting his public ministry. He's starting to teach. He's starting to preach. He's starting to heal. He's starting to do some stuff. And some people are coming around him. And a group of people are following him and listening to him. And that's where we're going to pick up the story here in Luke chapter 5. We'll be in verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Here we go, verse 1. On one occasion... While the crowd was pressing in on him, that's Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put a little out from the land. And he, that's Jesus, sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had, bought their, when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. So catch this situation with me and kind of picture this in your mind. Jesus is teaching. And as the crowd kind of presses in on him, because at this point in his earthly ministry, there are a lot of people that want to hear from him. People coming from everywhere, all over the place. I mean, Jesus is selling out shows every week. He's Jesus Bieber at this point, right, in his career. Don't take that too far now. All right. So people coming from everywhere and they're pressing him up against this lake and people coming and people coming and pressing and pressing and pressing to hear the word of God. So Jesus steps back up against the lake and he's got no place to go. So he looks around and there's fishermen there. They've gotten out of their boats and they're cleaning their nets. What does that mean? It means they're done fishing. They fished all night and it's the morning at this point and so they're kind of wrapping up their work day or work night, I guess, right? So Jesus steps back up against the lake and he, he doesn't have any place to go. So verse three says, Jesus steps into one of these boats and he says, Simon, put out a little bit into the water so that I can teach these people. I kind of picture this like those movies where somebody's running through downtown New York City and like they jump in a cab and yell, drive, drive, drive. You know what I'm talking about? Like Jesus kind of hijacks Simon's boat. He just steps into his boat. He doesn't ask. He doesn't say, hey, can I borrow your boat? Verse 3, Luke just says it in kind of a matter-of-fact way, getting into one of the boats. Jesus just steps into this cat's boat and says, could you put out a little bit into the water so I can teach these folks? So here they come right up to the water, right up to the shore, and Jesus is out a little bit, and he's teaching them. He finishes teaching them. Verse 4 Jesus looks at Peter and says, hey, I know you didn't catch anything. I know you toiled all night, but why don't we put out into the deep? Let's try this again. Listen to what Jesus is doing. Listen closely to what he's asking Simon to do. Start your fishing day over. Start your work over. I know your nets are clean. I know all your stuff's put away. I know you're back in on the shore, but I'm asking you to start your day over. And at this point, remember, Peter is not a follower of Christ. He, he's kind of a bystander. He knows who Jesus is. He's seen him do some pretty cool stuff, but he's not quite a disciple yet. And Jesus says, put out into the deep. Let down your nets again. And his response would have probably been a lot like our response. Verse 5, he says, listen, sir, master, that's the Greek word there, listen, sir, we toiled all night. That word toiled is they labored to the point of exhaustion. They were tired. They had lost heart and they caught nothing. But he says, Jesus, at your word, we'll put out into the deep, we'll let down our nets for a catch. My sister has this shirt. She, it says, trust me, I'm a lawyer. And she is a lawyer. So I, I picture Jesus wearing the shirt that says, trust me, I'm a carpenter, right? I could just see Peter looking at him and going, dude, we're pros at this. And we gave it everything that we had all night. 
you're a carpenter, Slick. You don't know anything about this. Why would we do this again? Why would we go out in the middle of the darn day, the worst time to fish, and put out into the deep and cast our nets down again? But at your word, we'll do what you ask. And it turns out great for Peter, right? Because he gets out into the water, they drop their nets and they catch so many fish that they've got to call their partners over with another boat. They fill both the boats up with fish and they start to sink. They get them back into the shore. Verse eight, Simon Peter falls down before Jesus and he says, go away from me because I am a sinful man, O Lord. He recognizes Christ's power and authority over creation. He recognizes that Jesus has done this and he recognizes that he is sinful and that Jesus is Lord. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Verse 10, Jesus says, do not be afraid. The assumption is that they were afraid. I would be afraid too. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Now get this. Jesus uses a very interesting word here when he says, from now on, you will be catching men. How many of you are fishermen or hunters? What do you do when you catch fish? You kill them and gut them and put them on a barbecue. I prefer salmon myself, right? So why would Jesus say, from now on, you will be catching men? that probably doesn't turn out, for, turn out well for the men who are being caught, right? And then you will gut them and put them on the barbecue. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus uses a very interesting Greek word. It's zogreo. The Greek word there means capture unto life. Capture alive. There's a different word for capture and kill and eat. It's a different word. This word is capture alive. From now on, you will be capturing men unto life. Jesus wants these disciples to know from day one, from the very first time he calls them, your mission is to change the world by capturing men unto life. Your mission is to convert. Your mission is to tell people about the life, the abundant life that I offer them and capture men unto life from the jump, from day one. This is not something that showed up later in Jesus's ministry. This wasn't something that he said, well, we'll just wait on this 12, 18 months down the road. We'll kind of break this on him. He says, day one, from the start, your job is to change the world by capturing men unto life, making disciples one life at a time. And Peter's response is great. Drops his nets, leaves everything, and follows Jesus. Love it. Love it. The interesting thing about Jesus at this kind of point in his ministry career or whatever, if you want to call it that, the interesting thing about Jesus is he's got a lot of fans, He's got a lot of fans at this point in his ministry career, and Peter is one of them. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law. Peter had seen Jesus do some pretty neat stuff. Peter had heard Jesus teach about some pretty cool stuff, and all of these folks that are pressing up against the water, people just coming out in droves to hear Jesus, there are a lot of Jesus fans at this point in his career. But look at me. Look, at me. this might be the only thing that some of you need to hear today. Jesus has never, 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 never been interested in fans. Never. Jesus wants followers. That's what he calls us to. 
When he called the disciples, when he called you and me, he didn't say, I would like you to be a fan of mine, to hold a little pennant. Jesus, you're pretty neat. Jesus says, follow me. And Jesus uses this moment in Peter's life to transition him from being a fan to a follower to a fisher of men. He's not interested in fans. He wants followers that are fishers of men. Peter, rough and tumble, gruff, as my mom would say, potty mouth, right? He's a fisherman. He's a gnarly dude. He has a Steve Erickson looking beard, right? This was a gruff, gruff individual. James and John, his buddies that show up in this story, they don't get that name Sons of Thunder because they were gentle guys. Sons of Thunder, not good, right? But Jesus calls these rough and tumble, gruff fishermen from fandom to followership. Guys, I know you're fans of mine, he says. That's cool, right? I want you to be a follower. And step number one in this process from being a fan to a follower to a fisher of men, get this, Jesus commandeers Peter's boat. That's step number one in this process from, becoming a, from, from being a fan to a follower to a fisher of men to accomplishing the mission that Jesus gave you and me. Jesus commandeers Peter's boat. Jesus commandeers Peter's boat. Do you guys know that word, commandeer? I learned that word where I learned most of my words from movies. I love movies. Pirates of the Caribbean. Have you seen it? Learned a lot of pirate, pirate words on Pirates of the Caribbean. It's great. Jesus commandeers Peter's boat. Look back at verse 3 if you've got your Bible open. Verse 3. Luke is talking about Jesus here, but look at the matter-of-fact way that he says this. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Remember, Jesus does not ask. Jesus does not request. Jesus steps into the middle of Simon's boat. Jesus commandeers Simon Peter's boat. But listen close. For Peter, this boat wasn't just a boat. For Peter, this boat was his only source of income. It was his most valuable possession. It was the way he fed his family. It was what he spent most of his time in. His primary relationships, really the only relationships he had in his life, centered around fishing, his finances, his security. Everything he was and everything he had was in that boat. For Peter, this boat was everything. And without requesting, without asking, without giving a heads up, Jesus steps into the middle of Simon Peter's boat so he could bring him from being a fan to a follower to a fisher of men. What does this mean for you and me? What this means for you and me is there's some of you in this place right now that Jesus is all up in the middle of your boat right now. Because he wants for you to not be a fan of his anymore, but become a follower of his. I was sharing the gospel with a friend of mine recently. I was telling him about Jesus and about the life that Jesus offers. And he, he asked me this question, like he said, um, how do I inherit eternal life? 
So when someone asks you that question, Christians, by the way, this is, this is no charge for this. When someone asks you that question, how do I inherit eternal life? Great opportunity to share the gospel, just so you know. So I start sharing the gospel and I start talking about Jesus and I start talking about sin and he's asking questions and all this stuff. And so we get to the end of this conversation and I talk, start telling about Jesus has paid the price for you. Jesus went to the cross for you. Jesus fulfilled all of God's laws for you. He who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. It was outstanding. So then he starts telling me, he's like, man, yeah, this is weird because I've got all these family and friends that are Christians and they're around me a lot and I see them a lot. I see them all the time. It's weird. It's a real weird coincidence. Then I'm kind of interested in this girl and she's been going to church and I kind of been going to church with her. It's kind of weird. It's interesting coincidence. And then someone gave me a Bible and, and, and that's weird, interesting coincidence. And then I had this opportunity to talk with you about the scripture and that's an interesting coincidence. I said, this is not interesting coincidence. <laughs> coincidence is the name we give stuff when Jesus commandeers your boat. <laughs> Jesus is all up in the middle of your boat. Everything you have, everything you are, all your relationships, Jesus just stepped into the middle of it. Because he wants you to transition from fan to follower. Friends, some of you are in this place and you come to church and you're checking it out and that's great. We are thrilled that you are here. But in the back of your mind, you're wondering, gosh, I've got these friends and I'm interested in church and that's kind of weird. It's not weird. It's not coincidence. Jesus stepped into the middle of your boat. He's standing in the boat of your life to transition you from fan to follower. Take a cue from Peter. This is the right response when Jesus commandeers your boat. Absolutely. My boat's your boat. You're the captain now. Where you want to go? Say yes to Jesus. Because he wants to transition you from fan to follower. Now, from follower to fisher of men. Because this is the call of Christ. This is the mission of Jesus. This is for those of us, Jesus has already commandeered our boat. He's already the captain of the ship. He's got the oars. He's got the rudder. And we're just saying, Jesus, you take me where you want to take me. Just like we sang a minute ago, spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you will call me. For those of us who Jesus has already stepped into the middle of our boat, we've already said yes to him. We've already turned over the keys. We've turned over the oars. We've said, my life is your life now. You have purchased me, bought me with a price. You take me where you want to take me. Here's where he's taking you. Out into the deep. Out into the deep. Look back in the passage. Look back in the passage. Verse 5. Sorry, verse 4. And when he, that's Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Jesus uses Simon's vocation. He uses Peter's job as a metaphor, as an allegory. He wants to connect what Peter's doing now to what he's about to do in the future. From now on, you will be catching men. And so we take a cue from the story and we learn principles about what it means to be on mission for Jesus from this story. And, and listen close. In order to be on mission for Jesus, you've got to put out into the deep. In order to be on mission for Jesus... 
Jesus has to commandeer your boat, and then you've got to put out into the deep. You've got to go out into the dark water. You've got to go out into the dangerous water. You've got to go out into the unknown water. You've got to trust Jesus when you say, sir, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. But at your word, I'll put out into the deep wherever you call me. I'm so thrilled that Cody picked this song this morning. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Like I'm crying. I'm just talking about it right now. I'm getting emotional. <laughs> the, only thing I have, the only problem I have with that song is it doesn't say every second I need you, right? I guess second didn't fit well because it's two syllables. I'm living this right now. Put out into the deep. Get out into the dangerous water. Do something risky for God. Get a little crazy for him. You know, when, when, in this moment when Jesus said to Peter, put out into the deep, get your nets out again, let's, let's launch this boat out, what would, what would all of Peter's friends have thought of him? You are an idiot. <laughs> this dude's a carpenter. He could build you another boat, but he doesn't know anything about fishing. You know that when you live on mission for Jesus that you're going to do some things and your friend's going to think you're an idiot. <laughs> you're going to have friends and relatives and people that love you that think you've just gone a little bit nuts. I have a very good friend. He's the best pancreatic surgeon in Canada. Outstanding human being. He's given five years, next five years of his life to be a missionary in Egypt. Egypt. I said, what'd your friends and family say when you told them you're going to be a missionary in Egypt? He said, they told me I was nuts. <laughs> I said, have you been watching the news at all? You know that it's kind of like not great over there right now? He said, yeah, I do. But the love of Christ compels me. I'm getting a little crazy for him. I'm casting out into the deep. I'm getting out into the dangerous water because my mission is and has always been to capture men unto life. What's that dangerous water for you? Is it sharing your faith with the person in the cube next to you? <clears throat> is it stepping away from a relationship that you know is, 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 is not good for you, not healthy for you? Is it, is it being a little bit more bold with your faith? Is it stepping out into something that God is calling you to do? What is it for you? Where's that dangerous water so that you could capture men unto life and in so doing, change the world? I was thinking about this this week and I, and I wanted to kind of illustrate it for you just so you can see it in front of you. Uh, you watch the Olympics, right? And they, and they have the balance beams and the, the girls go up on the balance beams. And, and the deal with the balance beam is you're supposed to step up onto the thing and then you're supposed to do some risky stuff. I mean, the thing is like this big, right? And these girls are doing flips and back handsprings and splits and everything else. And they fall and they work at it and they train. But the goal of a balance beam is to do some risky stuff. The goal of the Christian life is to do some risky stuff, to get a little crazy for God, to cast out into the deep, to do something dangerous. But listen, 
let's say, let's say, just for the sake of argument, that you wanted to just be safe. That you wanted to just live the safe Christian life. That you want to just protect and just be at church and just be around people. I don't want to step out into the deep. I don't want to cast out into the deep. I don't want to get into danger. I don't want to get into distress. I don't want to get a little crazy for God. I don't want to take a risk. So for me, it would have been, Luke, I have a church for you to pastor in Canada. And I thought, oh, God, no. I would rather go to Africa than Canada. Please, I just want to stay at Scottsdale Bible Church. I love Scottsdale Bible Church. I just want to be comfortable at Scottsdale Bible Church. I don't want to go anywhere. I just want to be here. I'm not going to fall off the balance beam. I'm not going to do anything risky for you. I'm not going to do anything crazy for you. Now picture yourself watching the Olympics and a young lady steps up on the balance beam and she does this. And for 60 seconds, she's thinking to herself, this is awesome because I'm not falling off. I'm not doing anything risky. I'm not doing anything crazy. The judges are going to love this because I've not fallen off. And then we get done. Right? That's the dumbest thing you've ever seen in your life. The goal of the Christian life is to cast out into the deep. Capture men unto life for the sake of the gospel. Not this. Not hugging this. Stand up on the darn thing. Do a flip. Do some splits. Because guess what? When this little girl gets off the thing and does this, who does she face? Judges. When your life wraps up, who are you going to face? A judge. Listen, he's a good judge. He's a gracious judge. He's a kind judge. He loves you so much. He wants the best for you, and he wants you to change the world one disciple at a time by capturing men unto life. But it's going to require something of you. It's going to require something of me. It's going to require that we get a little dangerous, that we stand up on the balance beam, that we do a flip here and there, that we do splits here and there, that we share our faith with our friends, even though that we're a little bit scared of rejection, that we invite somebody to church, that we live with integrity, even if it means consequences sometimes. Because our goal is to capture men unto life. Morality is great. Raising a great family is great. The goal of the Christian life from day one has been being a fisher of men. And you might think, wow, that's, yeah, that's, that's great, but does that really change the world? From day one, this is what these disciples did. Peter, James, John, eventually Paul, and, and, and the early church. All they did was capture men unto life. And do you know that the Bible says that they weren't smart people? It does. They said, it says that as they faced government, government agents said uh, they could see that the disciples were unschooled, uneducated men. They're fishermen. They're simpletons. They're rough and tumble. They're gruff. They're not super sharp guys. They're not well-schooled. But then in Acts chapter 17, I was rereading Acts recently. It's just outstanding. Acts chapter 17, there's this one little comment where Paul and a couple other apostles are in Thessalonica. And here's the comment. 
the men who have changed the world have come here also. The men who have changed the world. Some translations read, the men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They do it by being smart, by being prestigious, being famous. No, they did it by capturing men unto life, one disciple at a time, and the world turned upside down. This is me. This is where I'm at in 2014 and the rest of my life. I'm not interested in mediocrity. I'm not interested in average. I'm interested in living a life that turns the world upside down. And I'd like you, I'd like to invite you to accept the call of Christ, to say yes to Jesus stepping into your boat, and to say yes to him casting out into the deep. To do something a little crazy for him. So that when you go be with him and you stand before the judge and you do this thing or whatever it is, He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And when you go from a workplace or from a school or from a relationship, when you leave a city, they will say of you, that man or that woman who has turned the world upside down by capturing men unto life, one disciple at a time, has come here also. Pray with me. God, I just come before you and say, I, uh, I do so many things to be safe. I do so many things to be comfortable, but I know that that is not what you called me to. God, you have called me to change the world one disciple at a time. And you have called each of us, wherever we're at in our spiritual journey, in our walk with you, you have called us to capture men unto life to introduce them to you, to do something a little risky, to do something a little crazy, to stand up on that balance beam, to cast out into the deep. Jesus, you are the captain of our life. The oars are turned over to you. The rudder is turned over to you. Take us out into the deep that we might turn the world upside down one disciple at a time. In the name of Christ, the people of God together said, amen. It's wonderful. Wonderful to see you. Have a fantastic Sunday afternoon. Bye.